when the enemy comes into your thoughts or begins to hassle you physically or emotionally or spiritually, you will be able to be victorious. Why? Because I use the word of God against Satan and he can't stand it. And all I have to do is say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you, Satan. And he has to leave. Welcome to Somebody Loves You Radio, the Bible teaching ministry of Raul Reese in Diamond Bar, California. Today as Raul continues our series in Mark's Gospel, we're glad you've joined us for a look at the victory that comes from repenting of sin. You'll see that when you receive Christ's gift of salvation, your new life is fueled by the authority of Jesus' name and the truth of God's Word. Stay with us here on Somebody Loves You Radio for assurance that you're well-equipped to stand strong against any spiritual attack. Now, here's Raul Reese. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We stopped at the prophecy of John the Baptist, uh, verses 2 and 3, and we quoted from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Isaiah 40, verse 3 where he's actually given reference to John uh, becoming not only the forerunner, but coming and preparing the way of the Lord to make his path straight. And I told you that in that culture, uh, whenever a Roman emperor would be coming to a city, they would paint the buildings, fix the streets, uh, the roads, and really make it real nice when he would come. And so here John is calling out to prepare the way for the Lord because the Lord is coming. And of course, he's not talking about painting homes and stuff like that, but what he's talking about is getting right with God. And so we go to verse 4. He says, And then John the Baptist came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, John was not a city person. John lived literally in the wilderness of Judea. If you have never been to Israel, then you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, It's not like our Mojave Desert here. It's totally different. When you go down to the Judean uh, actual desert, You begin to see that John the Baptist was actually a man of the desert. I mean, he he didn't dress like anybody else. Uh, His uh, food was locusts and wild honey. And uh, he was a type of guy that was a ruffian. And he was out there. And he was not only the first cousin to Jesus, but he really believed in the message that, hey, if you want to hear the message, then you got to come and hear the message. But the first thing that he's doing here is that John is coming and baptizing and preaching, notice, the baptism of repentance. Now, because Jesus was the one to actually bring people to that born-again experience, John the Baptist is actually asking people as a symbol of repentance by being baptized in the Jordan River. Now the Jordan River is probably in its width, probably six to seven feet. And the water is dirty brown, very dirty and filthy. And so when these people were actually not only coming to John, John is asking that if you really want to believe, 
and really want to receive an experience of baptism, it has to be a baptism of repentance. Now, baptism doesn't save anybody. Now, we Christians, as the Bible speaks, we don't really baptize infants, but what we do is we take on Sunday mornings at the third service, and what we will do is we will actually dedicate or present children unto the Lord. And biblically speaking, we take it from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1, where uh, literally Samuel's mother, Hannah, came to the Lord and she was asking for a son. And she couldn't have any children. And in that culture, not to have children is literally to be accursed. And so when Hannah got pregnant, immediately she dedicated Samuel to the Lord. And the name Samuel means asked of God. She prayed and God answered her prayer. And so God gave her a son. So what she did is she went ahead and she dedicated this child to the Lord. And what she did is after winning the child, she took him to the temple and dropped him off. And the child grew up in the house of the Lord. And what's so beautiful is that Samuel, when he was in the house of the Lord, by the time he was 12 years old, we find out that there he's working with Eli the priest and Samuel has not had a really an experience with God. And so as he's cleaning and sweeping and mopping and taking care of the temple, one evening he's getting ready to go to bed because it's getting late. And as he lays down to go to sleep at the age of 12 years old, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. The voice of God came to him. And the voice said, Samuel, Samuel, and he woke up. And he jumped up and he thought that actually Eli the priest was summoning for him, calling him. So he came over and said, Eli, are you calling me, sir? He says, no, I'm not calling you. Go back to bed. You're hearing things. So he went back to bed. And then the second time the voice came again, he got up again and went to see Eli. And Eli said, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Again, the voice came. And the third time when he went back to actually speak to Eli, Eli caught on the priest and said, Samuel, the next time you hear the voice, say, Here am I, Lord, speak. And the voice of the Lord came the fourth time. And he spoke to Samuel. And the message that God gave to Samuel, can you imagine your 12-year-old and God comes to him and gives him a message, not of hope, not of salvation, but a message of judgment to tell the people. And you know what happened? As Samuel went back to bed and God spoke to him, he told him this. He says, you tell Eli that I'm going to kill his children. They're going to die. And the reason they're going to die is because Eli was the priest to the temple and his children were laying with women. They were stealing the offerings and eating all the offerings. And they were not godly children. And of course, Eli probably did not bring his children up in the ways of the Lord, but neglected them. Maybe he was too busy. But his children ended up dying and perishing without the Lord. Incredible story. But here is Hannah and Samuel, and he becomes a servant of the Lord and a prophet of the Lord. And God uses Samuel in a tremendous way. So we don't baptize children, but we present them. Then another instance is in the book of Matthew, where Jesus is literally presenting children. He's laying hands on children. And of course, Jesus was taken to the temple, and in the temple, Simeon dedicated him to the Lord. You see? 
Jesus doesn't even get baptized, and you'll see in a moment, until he's 30 years of age. When you know what you're doing. And you know exactly that, hey, I have been a sinner, and I need to be baptized. And understanding that baptism doesn't save anybody, but baptism is literally a symbol of death. You see? Of death. The guy on the cross, the thief on the cross, there were two thieves. And when Jesus was crucified, the one was cursing, the other one was said, Hey, why don't you keep quiet? Don't you know in whose presence you're in this morning? And as the one on the right side began to share with the Lord, the Lord actually shared with him and said, Don't forget, Lord, when you go to be in your kingdom, will you remember me? And he said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't say, Look, before you can go with me to paradise, you have to be baptized. And the reason I say that is because the church of Christ believes that if you're a child of God, the moment you receive Christ, you should be baptized. Because if you die without water baptism, you will go to hell. That's not true. The Bible doesn't teach that. Baptism is nothing to do with salvation. It's only a symbol of death. And Paul the Apostle, in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, describes what baptism is. It's literally you going into the water, the water becoming the grave. And as you go into the water, and you stand there, and they pray for you, and they take you back into the water, they're literally taking you in, and burying you in the water as a grave, and they hold you down, not too long, because you'll really die. But they'll bring you back up. And as you're coming back up, it is a symbol of what? Death and resurrection. You see? And that's what baptism is. It's a sign of death and resurrection. Newness of life, Paul said. But it never ever saves anybody. But yet here is John proclaiming. Baptism of repentance and the remission of sins. And that is only to prepare their hearts and their lives to meet Jesus Christ. Why? Because John is preparing the way for the Lord. Jesus is just about, you know, ready to take over his ministry. John is going to drop back. Jesus is going to take the lead now in his ministry. Look what he says in verse 5. And then all of the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to Him and were all baptized by Him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Notice His audience. They're coming from miles away. He doesn't go to them. They come to Him. And that shows something of importance here. Because we know that when people come to hear the Word of God, you have a good audience. Of course, there are going to be people in the audience that are doubters. Some will be actually unbelievers. But most of those that would come to hear the word of God, they're coming because they're hungry and they want to receive the word of God, you see. And so John the Baptist was sitting there watching all these people coming and confessing and repenting of their sins. And then in verse 6 he says, And John now was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He is the first hippie in the New Testament. There he is. Can you imagine? And look what he eats. He eats locusts and wild honey. Now, it's interesting when you go to Israel that the locust, there's a locust tree, a tree 
that is actually not a grasshopper, but it's actually a tree, a fruit tree that is called the locust tree. Now they believe that it could be literally, he was eating literally grasshoppers, or he was actually partaking of the locust trees that were there in the land of Israel. I believe literally he ate locusts. He was actually eating grasshoppers and honey. That was his diet for himself. This is Somebody Loves You Radio with Raul Reese. Don't forget, we're here to strengthen you as you walk daily with the Lord Jesus Christ. Visit us anytime at somebodylovesyou.com or you can call us at 800-634-9165. And for convenient access to a wealth of Bible-based resources, download our free app to your iPhone or Android. Now, here's Raul once again with more of today's lesson. And then look at verse 7. And then he preached saying, here is his message now, there comes one, and you notice that in your Bible, the word one is in big capital O. Why? Because he's speaking of deity. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Notice that. One after me. Notice me. It's in little M and little E. If it was Jesus, it would be big M and big, notice, and the E. One after me who is mightier than I, and I whose sandals straps I am not worthy to stoop down and to lose. Notice the humility in the heart of John the Baptist. Totally emptying himself before Christ. Not wanting to promote himself, not wanting recognition for himself. But he's actually rolling out the carpet and saying, you guys, it's no longer I that live it. But here it is, Christ, that is going to live in us. The same attitude that Paul the Apostle had. But can you imagine here John the Baptist becoming a servant of all, bowing down to Jesus and introducing the Lord. Verse 8, I indeed baptize you with water, and here it is, but He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who's the baptized with the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Now, this brings up another point. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a very important thing. Among the dispensationalists, like the Baptists, and there's others that do not believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. They believe it's a thing of the past. And what happened is that a lot of these uh, American theologians in the 1900s had an opportunity to go to Germany and actually go to the universities of Germany and be trained by the German theologians, which first of all were neo-Orthodox and some of them were very liberal people. And so when these American pastors went over to Germany, they went to get trained. And when they came back, they came back not as people thought they would come back, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But when they came back, they came back believing that the Bible had mistakes. That even though this is the Word of God, there are mistakes. And then they began to believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit actually stopped or ceased with the apostles. And that they're not for today. And they believe in the one experience where they believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's in conversion. And it's all one experience, but there are no separate experiences in receiving the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And yet when Jesus in the Gospel of John was teaching about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16. He said the Holy Spirit will be with you. He'll guide you. He'll lead you into all truth. He'll convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. And then he said, and when I leave, I'm going to send the Paracletus, and the Paracletus will come alongside to assist you, and he'll take care of you. And then he says he's going to baptize you with power. So when we look at the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the Greek, there are three words. You have the with, in, and upon experience. The with experience found in John 14, 15, and 16, it is the experience that before I am a child of God, I'm not a Christian, The Holy Spirit, because people have been praying for me and witnessing to me, but I'm not a Christian, the Holy Spirit begins to bring conviction to my life. I don't feel the same way I used to do. Why? Because now there's a great conviction in my heart. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? Trying to bring me to repentance. So now the Holy Spirit is with me. And I get convicted, and I feel like, wow, you know what? I need to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. So I get on my knees, and I begin to pray the sinner's prayer, and I ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart. Now what happens? The Holy Spirit was with me, but now the Holy Spirit is in me. And the Greek is en, the en experience. Now some people will say, well, that's good enough. We don't need any more. But there's a third experience, and that's called the epi experience. E-P-I in the Greek. And that is the experience that when I come to Jesus Christ, it is an experience that I need in my life all the time. All the time. Why? Because I need power. Power to live the Christian life. You see? And we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit within each one of our lives together. We need it. And then check this out. Verse 9. And then it came to pass in those days that Jesus came to Nazareth of Galilee. So he goes way back up, about 90 miles from now from the Jordan River. He moves up to Nazareth, down by the Sea of Galilee. And was baptized by John in the Jordan. And then immediately when Jesus had come down to the Jordan River, there is John. John is pointing to him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, John, I'm not going to baptize you. You're going to baptize me. Can you imagine how humble I would be? And Jesus steps into the water. And what happens? He goes into the water. He goes into the water. And as he's coming up out of the water, what happens? He saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. First of all, we see what? At the baptism of Jesus. The Father, the voice... Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity of God. It drives the Jehovah Witnesses nuts when you point to the Trinity of God. There it is, the Trinity of God. But did you notice that when Jesus was baptized, the moment He came out of the water, and He was baptized in water, and the Holy Spirit came upon Him, what did the Spirit do? The Spirit immediately drove Him to what? To the wilderness. The word drove there in the New King James. Mark uses it, uh, the word 11 times. It describes a casting out of demons. The same word for casting out demons. The same word. It drove him. When demons were driven out of a person. 
The same Holy Spirit that actually drove demons out of people's bodies, the same Holy Spirit drove him to the wilderness to be prepared for his ministry. Notice that he did not start his ministry right away. He went to the wilderness to prepare for his ministry. And what did he go to do there? He went to be tempted of Satan. Matthew chapter 4 tells you three times he was tempted by Satan. And when Satan came, what did he do? Look what it says. Verse 13. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beast and the angels finally came and fixed him a meal. They gave him something to eat. Nobody can pray and fast for 40 days unless you die. There's only three people. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. They're the only ones to do a true fast for 40 days and 40 nights just with water. And here we see the power of Satan. In the book of Matthew chapter 4, he went ahead and tempted him, first of all, what? Concerning the physical things of life. Hey, Jesus, see that stone over there? Why don't you turn it into bread? All you have to do is just call out, and it can happen. And what did Jesus say? He said, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that God gives to you. He quoted the scripture to him out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And then the second temptation... He took him up into a high place and said, Jesus, I will give you all of the kingdoms of the world. First of all, he tested his physical state. Secondly, he's testing what? His emotional state. The emotions. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you only bow down and worship me. And then Jesus said, what? The word of God. You shall serve the Lord thy God only. And then thirdly, he took him up into the temple mount. And he said, I'll tell you what, Jesus. You are Jesus. Why don't you jump? And let's see if God is really with you. Hey, Jesus could have jumped up and fly if he wants to. But he said, what? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The devil always comes physically, emotionally, or spiritually. He'll come in one or three ways. You have to be always open to that. And the way Jesus combated temptation was what? By the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. That's why we need to know the word of God. And we need to study the word of God. So that when the enemy comes. I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18. And when I combat the enemy. I don't come by my name. I come in the name of Jesus. And I come by the word of God. It is written in the word of God. Satan. Thou shalt worship the Lord God only. You see? And so that's why it's important to not only read and meditate on the word of God, but to memorize the word of God as much as you can. So that when the enemy comes into your thoughts, or begins to hassle you physically, or emotionally, or spiritually, you will be able to be victorious. Why? Because I used the word of God against Satan. And he can't stand it. And all I have to do is say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you, Satan. And he has to leave. And I don't have to scream. Just as gentle as I said it to you tonight, we have the power through the Holy Spirit to do that. We hope you've been encouraged by today's assurance that you don't have to face life's temptations and trials in your own strength. 
but you can overcome with the Holy Spirit's power and the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You're listening to Somebody Loves You Radio with Raul Reese. If you'd like to review the message you've just heard, we'll send you an unedited copy for a gift of $5 or more. Our phone number is 800-634-9165. And when you reach out to us, just ask for the teaching from Mark 1, verses 4 through 13. We'd also like to offer you Rawls' book titled Victory, Overcoming Our Enemies. This scripture-based resource will guide you in experiencing the abundant life God desires for you, even when you feel under fire. Bringing his Vietnam War experiences into the realm of spiritual battle, Rawl will show you how to recognize Satan's strategies and prevail against attack. Visit SomebodyLovesYou.com or call 800-634-9165 and we'll send you Rawls' book titled Victory, Overcoming Our Enemies for a gift of $14 plus shipping and handling. That's 800-634-9165. To order this resource by writing us, our mailing address is Somebody Loves You Radio, Post Office Box 4440, Diamond Bar, California, 91765. Our primary focus is to help you grow in your relationship with God as you ground your life in His mighty Word. We welcome your input on how we can best support you. We also invite you to enjoy our many resources. If you've missed a broadcast or would like to review one of Rawls' messages, you can use iTunes or Spotify to download podcasts of any of these programs. You'll also want to join Rawl on his YouTube channel every Tuesday at 10 a.m. West Coast time for Straight Talk a Q&A program with biblical insights for navigating life in a God-honoring way. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Here at Somebody Loves Your Radio, it's through your generous donations that we're able to remain on the air, and every contribution you make is tax-deductible. We're so glad you've made time to join us today. Be sure to tune in tomorrow as we return to more verse-by-verse study of God's powerful Word. That's next time on Somebody Loves You Radio. This program is sponsored by Somebody Loves You Radio in Diamond Bar, California.